Um, I want to thank whoever had the great idea of putting a water right here. That's slick. I don't know who did that, but that is wonderful. I'm going to take the cap off. Nice holder there. It's good to be with you this morning, guys. Um, I was driving in 401, and uh, you drive past, and you see things that I grew up with because I grew up in Ajax, so not too far from here. Down the road, you couldn't throw a stone there unless you have, like, a crazy arm, um, but it's about 15 minutes from here, so it's good to be nearby. I went to Whitby growing up in high school, sometimes a basketball tournament. Um, there was, like, that plaza with Laser Quest, Mini Putt. And then it also had uh, uh, another, uh, the movies. So it's like a place to go, entertainment, not normally coming to Whitby on a Sunday morning. Um, so it's good to be with you. Just a little bit of my story. Um, so in 2007 is when I went to the University of Waterloo um, to start my undergraduate degree. And that's actually where I ended up meeting my wife. I proposed to her on campus. We just that's where we met, and it was just a significant place for us. And uh, now we live in that area, Kitchener-Waterloo, with our two children. In 2008, that's when God just supernaturally redirected my life. I still stayed at the University of Waterloo, but all of a sudden I had this intense, insatiable passion for three things. The gospel, the Bible, and the church. And I've gotten to serve in the church ever since that, 15 years ago or so now. And like 99% of you here, I've been able to do it without being on the church's payroll as a volunteer. So as Alan invited me, I want to think about the type of ministry that I do, the type of ministry that also paid staff do, but also all kinds of ministry that you might be involved in, whether you have a sticker or not, whether you're attending to the needs of someone in your home. That's what ministry is. Ministry is attending to the needs of someone. So whether that's spiritual needs or physical needs, that's what I'll be speaking to today. But there's an elephant in the room, okay? One in three people, according to Mental Health Research Canada, they did a survey, one in three people currently feel burnt out. So in the midst of talking about serving and getting excited about it, let's just be real that there are people in this room that are just overwhelmed. People in this room that just to get here this morning was a lot of work. And you're seen too, even if you don't have a sticker, you're seen too. And so let's talk about serving without burning out. How do we minister to others without becoming miserable ourselves? Okay? How do we work without becoming weary? We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12 today. So turn with me if you brought your Bible to Romans chapter 12. It is an awesome book. If you've never read through Romans, I would encourage you do that this week. It goes through how we are saved in the first chunks of it, and then it goes into how to live out that in your day-to-day -day life. It's a very practical book. Some people think of it just as a theological book, but theology is practical, and it is true of this passage. Romans chapter 12, we'll be reading from verses 3 through to 8. This water, uh, who, who can I thank for this water? <clears throat> for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Just to clarify here, 
Paul's just talking about facts. You know, your, your eyes have a function, your hands have a function, your feet have a function. So in your body, you have many members, different parts of your body, with, and they don't have the same function. And then verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with the zeal, and the one who acts, of, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. To avoid burnout in ministry, we need right thinking, right belonging, and right serving. Thinking, belonging, and serving. That's what we'll go through in this passage, these three areas. And Paul thinks about his own ministry a particular way. He says, it's the grace given to me. And he says that's true about us later on in verse 6, that it's, we are given gifts that each one of us has if we are Christians. And this is an interesting way to think about our ministry. Paul's ministry, as he describes it in 2 Corinthians 11, this is quite the resume for his ministry experience. He says he's been flogged, put in prison over and over, exposed to death. He's received lashing, stoning, shipwrecked five times, been in danger from rivers and bandits. I don't think the rivers and bandits were at the same time. I think that was separate times, but he's been in danger from that. He says he's been hungry, thirsty, sleepless, cold, and naked. All this because of his ministry that God gave to him doesn't sound like something I'd sign up for. And you know what he calls it? A gift. So the grace of God given to him. And so he's, he's thrilled to do it. He's not troubled by it. He's happy to serve in this ministry. He treats it as a grace of God given to him. So what has God put you in, in terms of your ministry? Hitting next on the PowerPoint. Making a chip dip for a group meeting. You know, sending an encouraging note to a friend over Facebook Messenger. Leading a Bible study, even in your own home, just teaching your kids the Bible. All kinds of ministry. Maybe you're the kind of person who has the joy of picking off the pieces of gum off the bottom of the chair or picking up the popcorn kernels after a bridge youth event. Maybe that's you. Have the mind that Paul did. It's a gift, not a curse. Something you get to do. Your ministry is God's grace working through you. But not only does Paul model how we ought to think about the work, he models how we ought to think about the worker. So he says in, in verse 3 still, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think more lowly than he ought to think. No, 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 he doesn't say that. He says, but to think with sober judgment. And this word thinking is over and over and over again. The English standard version that I use, it uses judgment because it's like we can't use the word thinking over. But the original, it's just think how you ought to think. Think with sober thinking. And it might be playing on Romans 12 verse 2 that talks about renewing our mind. We need to think well as Christians. Did you know that? We need to think about what God has for us. So we need to think about this pitfall of pride and this pitfall of self-pity. We need to see ourselves as we ought. So when I was 19 years old, I was full of passion, full of ambition. You know, I was just full of myself. 
I thought I was great. I had been reading the Bible. You know, I'd been going through it every day, and nobody else does that, but I was doing it. And so I had an opportunity to speak. So I said, great, I'm going to look at this. Oh, I'll do that passage, take some notes. Didn't really practice much. Just went into it, high view of self. And uh, it didn't go very well. Um, I didn't realize that in the moment. I was just rambling on and on. And then someone said to me after, I, I still remember it, like direct to my face, what was that? It was just genuinely confused about what I was saying. The point is this, pride hinders your effectiveness. A lofty view of yourself, I'm so great, you know, it can cause you to make mistakes in your work. The fruit of your good work will be limited by the growth of your character. So one of the pitfalls of pride is it hinders your effectiveness, but also pride leads to burnout. And some of us, a lot of us, have probably experienced this, right? You know, you're in school, you're studying, and then you're like, oh, I'll volunteer for that. Oh, I'll, I'll add that to my plate. Oh, yeah, why don't I start do, doing that on a weekly basis? Oh, why don't I take an extra course or whatever it is for you? You end up taking too much on your plate, and it comes from not having sober judgment. You think of yourself a little too highly. We're so used to interacting with machines on a daily basis, so we plug in our phone every night, it recharges, and then it's back to full productivity the next day, right? Full productivity, all it needs is to be charged up. And Psalm 115 actually says that idols, we become like them. That's a whole other sermon. But we become like our machines sometimes when we don't have the right thinking. We think all we need is sleep. Why, why am I not back at full productivity? Because we, you need far more than sleep. You need far more than sleep. You're a human being. You need relationship. You need love. You need laughter. You need, obviously, food. Like, you need so much. There's a book called, uh, called You're Only Human by Kelly Capick. I love the title in itself. Some of you are like, don't give me a book recommendation. My plate's already full. <laughs> don't, don't worry, just the title. You're Only Human. What good news is that? Like, we need to have the right view of ourselves. Sober judgment. Pride leads to burnout. Pride hinders your effectiveness. We need to see no job being below us, that we're all high and mighty. You know, be, have the mind of Paul and see that there's no job below you. But there are some people here who struggle with the pitfalls of self-pity. Some of us don't feel so great. When we look at others in the church, we go, wow, you know, that's impressive. Maybe you've been invited over to somebody's house and they, like, just make an immaculate, like, seven-course meal. They have all this stuff, you know, and it's just impressive. And then it makes you go, I could never do that. I could never be hospitable like they are. Someone's led a Bible study. It feels like they have different glasses than everyone else because they seem to be able to just take things from the text that nobody else can. And so what we do is we play this comparison game with others. And we say, oh, they are blessed. They are good for the ministry, but maybe not me. Probably not me. I'm too weak. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the energy for it. I, and, and we just have too low of a view of ourselves. We don't think with sober judgment. If, you, if you're dealing with that, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling like you just don't have the capabilities needed to serve, let me tell you something. God loves to use people like you. He does. Like, look through Scripture. There's story after story. God uses the mute Moses in order to redeem his people out of Egypt. He uses a pebble from a boy to knock down a giant. He uses a peasant girl to become queen of Persia. 
I love when like, Jesus is like, all right, let's feed 5,000 people. You know how I'm going to do it? Boys' lunch. Right? God loves to use weak, small things to do great, wonderful things. He uses a baby in a manger to change the world. He uses a man dying on the cross to save us from our sin. So if you feel small, if you feel like you're not enough, I have an encouragement and a warning. The encouragement is God loves to use people like you. The warning is God loves to use people like you. It's coming for you. God's going to be using you in ways you might not know it yet. No matter what you're thinking of yourself, that self-pity, know this. No matter what, God can use you in service to others. There is no job below you, and there are also some jobs that are beyond you because you're aware of your limits, you're only human, but no matter your history, God will use you. That is right thinking. But we also need right belonging. The text says this, it says, though we are many um, uh, of one body, or though one body has many members, um, the members do not all have the same function. So there is a diversity here that is necessary for the body to function. I was going to do a whole illustration here about puzzle pieces. You put them together, but you get the point, like just with the illustration in the text itself, you have all of these different parts of the body. You can't have a whole bunch of eyeballs and then tell it to walk, right? You can't even have a whole bunch of feet and tell it to walk. I studied kinesiology. You need more than feet to walk. That's what I learned in four years, okay? Um, We need multiple parts of the body in order to function, okay? So we need every single person here, every single one, in order for the church to function. But then there's something in verse 5 here that's just a, a wild, wild statement for us in 2023. We're individually members one of another, or some translations say we belong to one another. Now just to unpack how countercultural this is, Um, There is a scholar, and he is a historian, philosopher. His name is Charles Taylor, and he's written about this in a book called A Secular Age. And it's a massive book. It's over 800 pages. Um, So I'd summarize it for you, but I can't because it's over 800 pages. The other reason I can't summarize it for you is that I've never read it. So it's really hard to summarize a book you've never read. But but there are some parts of it that I've read, and, and honestly, he's very insightful. He says... In regards to our culture today, he goes over the last 500 years, thinking of our culture today, it's a culture of authenticity. That each one of us has his or her own way of realizing humanity. Each of of us have our own way of living out the good life. And that it is important to find and to live out one's own. And this is as against to, this is different from the old model where there was a surrendering to conformity. Conformity. Conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society, by the previous generation, or religious or political authority. So in former days, 500 plus years ago, it was normal for you to find your identity, meaning, significance in life from the outside, and then you would conform yourself to those external things. And now we live in an inside culture, a a culture that is viewed, turned inward, you might say. And it's, you've heard the phrases, be true to yourself, right? Believe in yourself. This is our culture of authenticity. There's another great uh, philosopher. Um, I found a lot of their work insightful. Um, You might have heard of this one, the great thinker and writer Taylor Swift. You have heard of her then. Okay, great. 
She put it this way, it was in an address at uh, New York University. So you imagine graduating class, they're all excited about the future. She's giving that, this, the speech. She says, I know it can be really overwhelming figuring out who to be and when, who you are now and how to act in order to get where you want to go. I have some good news, it's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news, it's totally up to you. To you. What we are teaching in our culture of authenticity is that you are your own, you belong to no one but yourself. You're by yourself. You need to figure out meaning, significance, value, all by yourself. That's what Taylor Swift is saying, that's what Charles Taylor is saying, that you are your own, you have obligations to no one but yourself, and all of your life, all you are, all your meaning, you got to figure it out. Turn inward, believing yourself, figure it out from there. So let me be clear. The Christian belief is you are not your own, and I'll unpack that a little bit more in a second. But the culture of authenticity is you are your own. You belong to yourself. In his book, You Are Not Your Own, Alan Noble says this, to be your own and belong to yourself means that the most fundamental truth about existence is that you are responsible for your existence and everything it entails. So just think of these five things, okay? We got living a life of purpose, defining my identity, interpreting meaningful events, choosing my values, electing where I belong. All that kind of stuff. Like imagine, it's not Bugs Bunny, it's um, Wile E. Coyote and uh, Roadrunner. You know when they have like an anvil come down or a piano? We got all these heavy, massive objects that get in the way of different things. So imagine each a boulder, you know, you got each one of those five things are like each a heavy thing. And we place each of those heavy things on each individual person. And we say, figure it out yourself. No wonder we are so burdened. No wonder we are burnt out. We are placing expectations on each individual person that no human was made to bear. Alan Noble says, the freedom of sovereign individualism comes at a great price. Once I am liberated by all those external things, all social, moral, natural, and religious values, I become responsible for the meaning of all my own life and all the anxiety that comes with it. As Taylor Swift says, I have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. The commercials, the newspapers, our social media feeds, nearly everything says it's all up to you. You've got to figure it out on your own. Self-help, self-this, self-that. And here's what God tells us. You are not your own, but belong to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You are not your own, but belong to one another. It's radical. It's a totally different posture towards how we understand meaning and purpose. Everything, God says, I got that. You want meaning, you want purpose, you want to figure out right and wrong, you want to have all those things, don't put that on yourself. Come to me. Don't try to find out your purpose in life. Find out God's purpose for you. Go to him. Don't bear it on your own. And so that's why God gave us the scriptures. That's why belonging to one another. He gave us the church. We were meant for this, right? And so you could say that, well, Andrew, other religions, they offer meaning and purpose and morality. You can just go to other religions too then, based around your argument. 
Fair enough. Yeah, up to this point, that's true. But what other religions will tell you is that it's up to you to live a good life. You need to live good enough in order to get up to heaven, and that's totally up to you. But in Christianity, Jesus says, I got that too. Getting to heaven, Jesus is like, no, 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 don't put that on yourself. I'll do that for you. I will bear the penalty of your sin. I will nail it to myself on the cross. So you got, you got to understand this. All your sin, all your failure was nailed to Jesus. If you believe in him, it was nailed to Jesus on the cross 2,000 plus years ago, or 2,000 years ago, whatever the date was. And when you realize that, and when you realize how much God and Jesus carry for you, that sense of burnout, that sense of expectation starts to go with it back 2,000 years ago, far away. Right thinking and right belonging. We need to belong to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we need to belong to one another. We need to, as the text says, be individually members one of another. The word here is members of one another. Just, just calling it out here, membership is a biblical term. You know, becoming a member of a church is a thing that this passage Paul is saying, you cannot merely attend church. According to Paul, you belong to a church. You cannot merely watch church. You must belong to the church. Other ways that this practically works out, we must serve each other's needs, carry each other's burdens. The person next to you that might be burnt out, you need to help them. You need to see what they need and help them and serve them. That's, we carry it together. The body works far better when it's not just a bunch of eyeballs, right? we got to use our gifts and figure out how to serve one another. Some of you are great cooks. Some of you aren't. Some of you bring muffins to a potluck from Sobeys, and that's cool, all right? Let's just be cool with that. Let's not look down on those people. You know, they can't cook, all right? Maybe they could get some training. Maybe, like, cooking is helpful and, and eat healthy, all that stuff. But let's just, let's just be honest. Like, some people suck at cooking. That's cool. What, what can they help with? And how can we serve one another, bring one another meals if you're a cook? Also, this means belonging to one another that all your possessions are God's and each other's. We are individually members of each other. We belong to one another. That means all of your belongings belong to other people. So like, you can just pass your credit card to the person next to you and say you, you, whatever you want. Like, I'm, I'm kind of being tongue-in-cheek there, but really the early church model here is that we care for one another's needs. There's someone who's struggling financially, we care for them. So ministry, yes, giving money to the church generally, but also in formal ways in ministry and life. Also, just one more practical thing about belonging to one another that I think is really important here. We, this would teach us, it's not totally up to you. You belong to one another. So it's okay to ask for help. Some of us really struggle with that. I know I struggle with it. When we're feeling burnt out, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we're, we're living in a culture of authenticity, so we try to figure it all out by ourselves. Instead of going to our small group or to our pastor or to our friend or to our neighbor and saying, I need help. I'm going through a hard time. Whatever that, that is. Let me encourage you, no matter what you're going through, you can ask for help. It's okay to not be okay. We're living in a hard time right now. 
There's not just the overwhelming expectations, there are financial troubles, there's the wave of technology, there's all sorts of things going on right now. Lots of things that make us feel burnt out. It's okay to ask for help. You belong to a larger family, and that family will care for you. So right thinking, right belonging, now we can get into right serving. Right serving. So the text talks about having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And so what Paul is saying, if you look at the Greek, is that you're supposed to hire an external consultant, and they're supposed to come in for a year and create a whole program that you have a spiritual gifts inventory, and then you go through a bunch of workshops discovering yourself, right? And you've got to look inward and figure out, What's, what do I like? And that's what you'll, after a year, then maybe you'll do something, maybe not. That's what the text doesn't say, just to be clear. The Greek does not say that, guys. But a lot of times in churches, let's just, what's your experience? It's like, oh, spiritual gifts. Instead of like figuring out how to use them, we figure out how to discover ourselves and look inward. What's that more culture of our society or more of a culture of what Paul would have us? Now, let's, Let's just, just to be clear, I worked at a personality uh, survey company for four and a half years. Um, personality surveys, spiritual gifts inventories, they are okay. You can use them, they can be very beneficial. But when it, it's all about you and turning inward and not serving, you miss the point, okay? We need to figure out how we can serve. And, and Paul lists some ways to think about. There are lots of different spiritual lists, um, spiritual gift lists in the New Testament. So this one has, you know, prophecy, service, teaching, and if you look at other places in the New Testament, um, like on the screen here, you might not see it because it's a bit small, but there are, sometimes it's included, and sometimes it's not. The lists aren't consistent. And so what that means is that there's probably, well, there's definitely no definitive list to memorize. Each person is going to have different gifts, and maybe they aren't on one of those lists that are in the New Testament. So... Going back to the text, let's just go through the list of the gifts that Paul has here. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. So some of us are good at this. Prophecy is timely truth. Timely truth. And it has to be aligned with scripture, but it is something that comes out of speaking into someone's life. Sometimes people think of prophecy as speaking about the future, and maybe that's possible here, but it, it seems in the way the New Testament uses that word that it's far broader than just that. It seems to be timely truth. And it's supposed to be in proportion to our faith here, which might say, you know, you're not supposed to go out there and, and make a whole bunch of lofty judgment, but do it in proportion to your faith. But use it. If we have these gifts, let us use them. If service in our serving. So it's like, well, I just don't know which of the spiritual gifts I have. Then I'll tell you which one you have. You have service, okay? You can serve. You can, that's a catch-all category. You can serve people in lots of different ways to attend to their needs. Whether that's doing dishes, picking up these chairs and lining them up, like one, one gentleman said on the video, you know, changing diapers, giving clothes to the poor. There's lots of needs. And service is this catch-all category to say that some of us have that kind of gift. Also, there's the one who teaches in his teaching. Keep on teaching. That's Paul's point here. If you have this gift, keep using it. And some of us were like, oh, I would love to teach. And we only think about it in that, like, this thing up here when you're out front on stage. But teaching can happen in all of life. Yes, in small groups leading a Bible study, but it can happen one-on-one. -on -one. You can teach with how you live your life. 
You know, one of the best things of pieces of wisdom I got when I was 15 years ago full of myself is it's like, if you want to become a good teacher, live it out and teach the people who are actually in your life. Don't focus on creating this huge ministry online or anything like that. Just focus on living it out and teaching the people that are actually in your life and talking to them about it. Teaching, also, in addition to teaching, the one who exhorts. Exhortation is like pressing truth into someone's life, pressing it down, right? So you get a sermon on a Sunday, and you might have some convictions, but that friend who comes to you and presses that truth down and says, hey, what do you think about that sermon? How's, how's that going for you? I want to encourage you in something, and maybe I see something in you that I think you could improve at, or you could do even better. That person who exhorts really presses that truth into the life of another. And so that's what some of us are really good at. And, and again, the one who contributes in generosity. So the one who sees and fully believes in our belonging, that we are not our own, but we belong to God and we belong to one another, then they're going to contribute in generosity with a smile on their face. And then there's the one who leads. And then it says with zeal, some of the time it's just repetition, but there's something about leadership that maybe you lose enthusiasm over time. Maybe you lead one of the bridge groups and, and you're, you're leading that, you're trying to do well, but you're kind of losing that enthusiasm. Remember why you started leading in the first place. And, and really lean into those reasons again and lead with zeal with passion, with fire, but not full of yourself like I was when I that was bad. Then the one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. So acts of mercy, this is caring for the poor, caring for the needs of others. I, I, like, I find it fascinating here that, that this is what Paul sees as church ministry. Yes, three of those gifts include the Bible, you got to align with the Bible in terms of prophecy. you got to teach the Bible. you got to press the Bible truth into people's life with exhortation. So the Bible is central. And so if you wanted to grow in your giftedness, then maybe it would be pretty straightforward to just learn the Bible more. That would help you serve others. But there's also these other things. Some of us aren't into Scripture as much, and we can do these other aspects. Generosity, service, acts of mercy. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're at in terms of your giftedness, but the call today is to use whatever you got. Use it. Don't sit on your hands. Don't turn inward. Turn outward and offer a hand to someone else. One of the things that I love about this text, about how it teaches that we are individually members of one another, is that it allows us to celebrate in a different way with others who are gifted in different things. So we saw there was those seven people who came up on stage and were like, okay, sitting down, maybe you're thinking, that's great. Maybe you're thinking, ah, oh, I kind of wish I was up there. I don't know what you were thinking. Kelly Capic, he says this, again in that book, You're Only Human. And I'll, and I'll just close with this. He says, today, I am caring for prisoners in jail. Today, I'm evangelizing the disenfranchised in Nepal. Today... I am praying over the sick child in the hospital. Today, I am serving the, recovered, the recovering victims of sex trafficking. Today, I am standing against racial injustice. 
Today, I am caring for widows, and I am doing so much more. How? I am doing all of this because I am part of the living body of Christ. God's Spirit has united me to Christ, and because of that union to my brothers and sisters of the faith, we are one. So every aspect of each member's serving, you're part of. You celebrate it with them. When someone makes that seven-course meal, it's kind of like you made that meal too. Because just like a bunch of feet can't walk on their own, they couldn't have made that meal unless you were serving in the way that you were, receiving it with gladness, perhaps, and that's a way of serving. We need right thinking. We need to see that there's no job below us, that there are some jobs beyond us, but no matter your history, God will use you. We need right belonging. See that we are not our own, but belong to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we belong to one another. And right serving. Each of us has gifts. Paul says, don't look inward, look outward. Use them. Use your gifts. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you for creating this family of families that you call the church. Thank you that in this family of families, there are an assortment of people, a diversity that you, you really want, a diversity, apparently, God. You don't want us to all act the exact same way. Thank you for that. Thank you that we can each be our own person, and thank you that you give us the forgiveness we need to not feel burned out. Thank you that you give us the direction we need so that it's not all up to us. I just pray for the person here right now who's just struggling with this, who's just struggling with this idea of church and involvement, and maybe they feel like the organized church is just not worth it, and they'd much rather do things on their own. I know that that is a real struggle. We would much rather not get caught up in in some organized religion that the Pharisees did in Jesus' day that Jesus rebuked. But I ask you, God, to help that individual see the family that they are welcomed into, the church, the family of families, and help them receive that welcome. Help them become part of it and to serve with gladness. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.